we doing tonight? You guys doing good? Can you hear me? Awesome. I, uh, I totally forgot there was a bumper video, and so I came up here. I'm like, what's up? See ya. No one can hear me because my mic was muted. And uh, so, hey, if you are new here, if it's your first time, my name is Steve. If you've been coming for a really long time, we're just so glad that you're with us. And uh, we have a lot of people tonight that are watching church online. So can we give it up for everybody watching online? Man, we're so glad that you're with us. And those of you in the room, we're so grateful that we get to do life together. And our hope here is that you would show up to CYA and this place would feel like family. Uh, We say it every single week, but we really want this to be a family for you and for me. And I know I found, like John was saying, some of my closest friends here at CYA. And I'm really excited though, because like Laura said earlier tonight, we are starting a brand new series and the series is entitled Fan the Flame. And our team, we got together and we have been praying and asking, God, what do you have for us over this next season? What do you have for us over the next couple of weeks? Where are you guiding us and directing our steps? And we feel as though this is where he's leading us. You see, when somebody gives their life to Jesus, we, a, a phrase that we say in church culture is, man, that person's on fire. And some of you, you're in here, you're like, I don't really know what this fire analogy means. Basically, what it means is they want to be at every prayer gathering. They want to serve in every single ministry. They want to attend every single service. And we would say, man, that person is on fire for Jesus. You see, I look at this room. I look at those of you outside in community. I see you guys on social media. And I know one thing about Crossroads CY is that you guys are passionate. You guys love Jesus. You're passionate about Jesus. You're passionate about community. You're passionate about the friends that you have. And ultimately what you want is you want people to know about the love that you've experienced. And so every single week I'm reminded as we worship and I hear you guys singing, I'm reminded every single week when I come up here and I see you guys taking notes, you are passionate. And God has birth this fire inside of every single one of us when we say yes to following Jesus and he's given us gifts. He's given us talents. He's, he's given us this love and we cannot hold back. But often when it comes to fire, if you stop feeding the flame, it dies. In order for it to keep going, you need to keep feeding it wood. You need to sometimes go like this with your hand. I'm not an expert when it comes to fire, but I know some of those things. And so that's the idea for this series when it comes to fan the flame, because some of us, we've been coming to church for a really long time. And my hope is after this series, you would really fan that flame and you would say, man, I want what I had when I said yes, when I said yes to Jesus, I want that again. Some of you, you're going to say yes to Jesus and you're going to have this fire that's ignited in your heart. And our hope is that 20 years from now, you're still in love with Jesus. 40 years from now, you're still in love with the local church. You're still in love with community. But it starts with you and I every single day saying, let's fan the flame. And so that's the heartbeat behind this series. And and I'm really hoping that you would be here all three weeks because we're talking about ways that we could continue to fan the flame that God has invigorated in all of our lives, in all of our hearts. So with that, let's go ahead and let's invite God into this space. Let's invite God to really, maybe for some of us, bring that fire back. 
For, for others of us, maybe it's to invite that fire into our hearts for the first time. Or for others of us, maybe we're on fire and it's for that to keep going. But we don't want it to stop here because I believe that if we continue to fan this flame, we're going to see revival in our city. We're going to see revival in this place, in our, in our jobs, our friend groups. People are going to be like, man, that person loves Jesus. And it is evident when I talk to them for two minutes, that's all they talk about. That person loves the local church because every time I ask them to hang out, they're like, I'm serving. I'm in every single ministry, but that's what happens when you are on fire. You want to do all the things. And I want every single one of us to have that fire that God has lit in our lives, in our hearts. We're passionate. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the fire that you put in all of our hearts. Whether we realize it or not, God, you are creator. We are creation. And we just want to worship you. And so, God, I pray that this fire would come into all of our hearts tonight, God, and nothing could contain it. We would continue to fan this flame of our gifting, fan this flame of passion, so that we could tell the world about you so that our families' lives could be changed, our friend groups could look different, our universities could look different, our workplaces can be different because of us being on that campus, because of us being lights and telling people about the life change we've experienced, the love we've experienced, the hope we've experienced. And so would you have your way in this place tonight? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. The other day, I um, was on the internet, and as I was saying that, that makes me sound really old. Uh, I, was, I was browsing the internet. No, uh, the other day, I was online. Okay, that makes me sound a little bit younger. I was online, and um, I came across this article, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I read something catchy, I'm like, I'm clicking on it. And so I come across this article, and it said something along the lines of like the five biggest regrets most people have before they die. Article like that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even care if this thing gives me a virus. I want to know about that. <laughs> and so I remember I, I clicked on it and it's like a brand new computer that I have, but I just went for it. <laughs> and I click on this article and I start reading it and it was so interesting. I mean, the five regrets most people have before they die. I'm like, this is crazy. So the article is about this woman who's a nurse. Her name is Bronnie. And she's this nurse in Australia and she has a really unique position. I'm not sure if she's actually still a nurse or she's retired. I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on that. But she was a nurse or is a nurse and she's been working with patients who have 12 weeks or less to live. I mean, talk about how hard that job is. And so not only is she a nurse taking care of these sick patients, these terminally ill patients, but because of these people face-to-face -face with death, she's also a counselor. And so the article was talking about how she's been, she, she's caring for her patients, but she's also listening to them. She's talking to them as they are coming face-to-face -face with death. And she realized that she's having these conversations that there's a lot of regret that's coming up. There's a lot of people saying, man, if I were given a do-over in life, here's what I would do differently. And so I start reading through this list and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so fascinating. And one of the, the things that kept reoccurring on that list 
was the one I want to talk about today. And it's this, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I mean, it's crazy to me that these people are are face to face with death. Their, Their time on earth is going to be done. And they're talking about some of their biggest regrets. And one of the biggest regrets was that I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking about it. I know where we're going in this series. And I'm like, man, that's powerful. I want to speak to our people about that. The article would say nothing else mattered to her patients in the last few weeks of their lives, but love and relationships. Nothing else mattered to her patients. 12 weeks or less to live. Nothing else mattered but love and relationships. And so as I'm reading this article, it got me thinking that you and I, we as creation, we were created to be in relationship. We were created to be in a relationship with God. We were created to be in relationship with other people. And so as I'm reading this article, as I'm talking about this and it's in my brain, Jessica and I are having this conversation. And we're talking about relationship because in Genesis, in the very beginning, it talks about how you and I were created in the image of God. And so Genesis says we're created in the image of God and we were talking and and we're like, man, if we were created in the image of God, that means we need to be in relationship. Because whether you know this or not, and I'm gonna get a little theological with you guys, but we worship a God who's one God, but he exists in three different persons. And so we have one God, but we also have Jesus, his son, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have God. And all the time, those three are in relationship with each other, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And if we were created in the image of God, that means we need to be in relationship. Because if he's in relationship, that means we need to be in relationship. And so I don't know if you're in here, I talk to people all the time and they're like, man, I'm introverted. I don't like being around people. Big groups scare me. I don't like talking to people. But the thing is, we were created in the image of God. And if he's in relationship, we need to be in relationship. And there's something so pivotal and crucial about being in relationship. And that's why tonight I really want to start off this series of Fan the Flame, where we talk about how the community that we surround ourselves with can either keep that flame going or take it out. And the community that we surround ourselves with is crucial. And so the remainder of our time, I want to spend in Mark chapter 2. So would you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2? We're going to be in verse 13 It'll come up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, but we're going to be there for a little while, so if you do, you can open it up. Mark chapter 2, verses, uh, starting in verse 13, such a good story. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, that kind of happened really quick, huh? Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
And tonight I wanna really spend some time dissecting that story because there's a lot that we could take out of it. And I really wanna give us some context and set the scene for what is happening. Jesus is traveling like he normally does. Jesus is always on mission. He's always moving. He's always trying to reach people. And so here he is at the lake, at, which is the Sea of Galilee. So he's walking near the Sea of Galilee and he's traveling. And I imagine he just gets off this boat. He's walking with his disciples and People hear about him coming and all these crowds of people start to join him. Like we read here, there's crowds that start to form around him. And so Jesus, his disciples, this huge crowd, they're all talking, they're all walking, which I'm not very good at. Like I can't do two things at once. Jesus is multitasking here because on top of that, he's teaching them. And so he's talking, they're walking, he's teaching them. These crowds are forming around him. And as they're walking, this is my imagination going, they come across this guy, like the scripture tells us, his name was Levi. And Levi was a tax collector. And I want us to understand the, the, the weight of this encounter happening because it's a really big deal. So tax collectors, if you didn't know, were uh, some of the most hated people. I mean, tax collectors, first off, they would take your money. Nobody wants their money getting taken, right? So what they would do is they would sit at a booth and they would charge people and they're like, hey, that's gonna cost X amount of money. And so right off the bat, they're hated. But on top of that, they weren't the most honest of people. So most tax collectors, what they would do is they would overcharge what they needed to and they would keep the extra money for themselves. The other day I was talking to a friend and uh, this guy went to a game. I think it was like a hockey game or something like that. And we're talking and he's like, bro, I bought water and it was $8. I'm like, $8 for a water? I could get cases on cases on cases for $8. Maybe, maybe not, maybe two cases. But I could get more than that one bottle. But what this place does is they, they, they charge more, right? Because you can't bring it into the stadium. What the tax collectors would do is, and I'm not saying the stadium was dishonest, what the tax collectors would do is oftentimes they were dishonest and they would take more money than they needed to. And so socially what happens is they became outcasted. They were hated. It's also important to note, we're going into teaching mode tonight. It's important to note that there was two types of tax collectors. There was tax collectors that were with the people. They were face to face and they're like, hey, you owe me X amount of money. And they're sitting at this booth taking people's money. And so people knew who they were. People knew their name. People saw their face. And then there was other tax collectors that were the higher ups. This would have been a Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he would have been like the higher up. Nobody really would have saw his face, but they knew his occupation. They knew he was a tax collector. But Levi in this story is the one that's taking money from people. And so people know his face. People know him for who he truly is. And I think like, imagine Levi at the supermarket. Like you're already outcasted. Nobody wants to be around you. And Levi's like pushing a shopping cart. People are like, oh, Levi. And all these people are trying to avoid Levi because nobody liked Levi. Nobody liked tax collectors in general. And so a lot of these people knew his face and they knew what he did. And then if that wasn't bad enough, tax collectors, so like Levi, for example, was a Jewish guy. Tax collectors worked for Rome. And so the Jews and Rome were enemies with each other. And so essentially Levi's a Jew working for the enemy, getting money for the enemy. 
And so all across the board, this guy, nobody wants to be around Levi. He, he's despised. And on top of that, Levi was so hated, tax collectors were so hated, they couldn't even enter the temple to worship. Isn't that crazy? Like, I don't know if you guys are with me, but that is literally crazy. This dude's like, man, I'm just trying to worship God. Now you can't come in. This is how hated they were. Take a look at a parable that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 18. It says this, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Notice this. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Like people could go into the court of Gentiles, but not tax collectors. They had to stand far off. This dude wasn't even allowed to worship. And so what I want us to understand is tax collectors were alone They were alienated, and the only people that would go around them were other tax collectors. Which is why it is so crazy the fact that Jesus is walking, he's talking, he's teaching with this crowd, and he walks by and he sees Levi. Can I tell you something? I don't know who needs to hear this tonight, but God sees you right where you are. The fact that you're in this building, he sees you and he knows where you are, and he wants you. He wants you to follow him. And that's what we see with Levi, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But I believe this story tonight shows us two things. And if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to take notes. The first thing that I want us to understand tonight, it's a long point, so your hand might get a little tired. Being in the right community will foster spiritual growth. I want you to understand that today. I don't want you to miss it online, wherever you find yourself. I want you to understand the fact that being in the right community will foster spiritual growth. You see, like we talked about earlier, Jesus is walking. He's talking with this crowd. He sees Levi, and what does he do? He calls him to follow him. I mean, Levi is at his tax booth, okay? He's there, he's taking money. All of a sudden, this encounter happens, and what does he do? He pulls an Antonio Brown. This man gets up and leaves the booth to follow Jesus. If you didn't understand my joke, Antonio Brown is a football player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And a couple weeks ago, mid-game in the third quarter, he just leaves, takes off his shoulder pads, takes off his shirt, runs across the field, does this to the fans, and runs into the locker room, gets an Uber, and leaves. That's what Antonio Brown did. Levi kind of did the same thing. Only he followed Jesus. And so he leaves, he gets up, he, he follows Jesus like Jesus called him. But we're going back into teaching because Levi, this is important, Levi leaving his booth was a really big deal. Because like we said earlier, Levi worked for Rome. Tax collectors worked for Rome. And so the fact that Levi got up to follow Jesus and he left meant that Rome would never give him his job back. You see, the other disciples, the, the fishermen, they, they owned businesses. They, had, they knew how to fish. And so when they left to follow Jesus, they, they could have easily went back to fishing. Levi, had to, he, he left everything in order to follow the call. He left it all to follow the call. He left his luxurious life 
He left his well-paying job. And what he did is he left his community to be under someone wiser. You see, Jesus pulled Levi, and I love this, Jesus pulled Levi out of the familiar place. And I think Jesus is trying to get some of you out of that familiar place. You see, the familiar place for Levi was he knew the amount of money he was going to make. He knew that he was going to be surrounded by other tax collectors. He he knew what was going to happen. He knew the day-to-day. He knew that people weren't going to really want to talk to him, but he got familiar. You know, it doesn't mean he lived a comfortable life because we talked about how he was an outcast, but I believe he got so familiar with it, it was just another way to live. And I believe some of us, God's trying to take us out of that familiar place to grow us. He's trying to get us out of that familiar place. And he's like, hey, I know that you're used to that friend group that you had, but but I'm going to take you out. Why? Because I want you to grow here. I want you to be the example that those friends were to you in that season to someone now. I want you to use that gift that you had in that ministry to this new one. I want to take you out of that familiar place. And so what Jesus does is he pulls Levi out of this familiar place into a community with himself and 11 other guys, and they would do life together for three years. And I want to stop here and say this. It wasn't that Levi didn't have any friends. Levi had other tax collector friends. I think it's funny how oftentimes we gravitate toward the people that look like us, that dress like us, that talk like us, that that encourage us, that tell us all the good things. I get that. There's nothing wrong with that. I believe the same thing was true of Levi. He gravitated toward the people that he interacted with, well, because he didn't really have much of a choice. But in order for Levi to grow in his calling, in order for Levi to grow in his gifting, in his purpose, God had to take him out of that familiar place and include him into a new community. You see, you could be around people, but it doesn't mean they're the right people. You could be around people for a season, but it doesn't mean in the next season they're the right people for you. And now I'm not saying, let me be very clear, I'm not saying you ditch the people that aren't followers of Jesus. You're like, Steve told me I need to be around other Christians. No, I'm not telling you that at all. We need to surround ourselves with people who don't believe the same things as us. But we also need to be getting poured into We need to be around people that are going to encourage us, that are going to speak life into us, that are going to teach us more about scripture, teach us more about the love of God. And then we go back to our friends and we can live and do life with them, but we're bringing those conversations into the conversations I'm having with my non-believing friends. You might be here thinking and resonating with the fact of the familiar place, getting taken out of the familiar place. And maybe you're here and God just took you out of that familiar place. And maybe it was, you were dating this person and you were comfortable with them and you thought you were gonna marry them and then God took you out of that and now you're in, you're, you're in a season of singleness. Can I tell you, trust God where he has you right now. Some of us, our, our circles look different than they did. Trust God. It might be God pulling you out of that familiar into a new community saying, I need you to be here right now. These people are gonna help you fan that flame that we keep talking about. It doesn't mean that they weren't good enough, but these people need it. 
You need to speak life into these people and maybe God is calling you into a new community because what I love is when we have the right community, it's special. I mean, the right community, when you're feeling down and depleted and sad, they come alongside you and like pick up your head. Man, man, God loves you so much, he doesn't want to keep you there. Pick your head up. The right community, they're going to call you out when you're wrong. And it's going to be in the most loving way, but they're going to tell you, hey, you shouldn't be gossiping like that. Why, why are you talking about that person that way? And it's the right community. Why? Because they're pointing you to Jesus. You, you have other people, have other community, but you got to make sure that you're with the right community getting poured into so you can pour into the other community. And I believe this is what happened right here for, for Levi. And the second thing I want us to understand, and it kind of goes along with point one, but the second thing is, our people push us toward our potential. I like the P's. Our people push us toward our potential. Levi left what he was doing, left the familiar to follow Jesus. So what happens is now he's doing life with Jesus. He's, he's watching Jesus perform these miracles. He's doing life with him. He's seeing how he encounters people. He's learning under his teaching. I mean, this right here is a big change for Levi. He went from feeling like, man, only my tax collector friends understand me to Jesus, the Messiah, calling him out of his familiar place into this new place. And now he's experiencing miracles. He's experiencing God do some crazy things. His teaching that he gets to sit under is obviously like nothing else and no one else. And what would happen is Levi, who also goes by the name of Matthew, would compile all of these stories. And what does he do? He writes the gospel of Matthew. Uh, okay, maybe you guys aren't as... I was like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, now... He literally had to get pulled out of that one season, but look at what happens in the next. He's writing the gospel of Matthew, and now billions of people have had their lives changed and been encouraged because of his gospel. And the crazy thing is, I told myself I wasn't going to scream tonight, but I'm screaming. The, the crazy thing is, according to John MacArthur, Matthew... Or Levi, we're going to use his name interchangeably, same person. In his gospel, he quotes the Old Testament 99 times. That is more than Mark, Luke, and John combined. And my man couldn't even make it into the temple. What? He couldn't make it into the temple. He couldn't hear the teaching of the Old Testament, yet he knew it. How? Because he taught himself. He, he didn't waste his time in that familiar place. He let himself grow. And what happens the next season? He's writing the gospel of Matthew. Man, don't let a season go to waste. Because I believe oftentimes what the season that we overlook, God's going to use for his glory. The people that we overlook, God's going to use for his glory. He's going to use anything and anyone for his glory. And here we see that taking place. And Jesus, what he does in this story, I believe he propels Matthew into his full potential when he said yes to the call into this new community. If Levi didn't do that, what would happen? 
who knows, if we would have the gospel of Matthew, we probably wouldn't. We would have a different gospel. But, but the point being, Jesus called him. He had to be obedient, but his people pushed him toward his potential. And I'm here to tell you, your people are going to push you toward your potential, but it needs to be the right people. And I believe in the heartbeat behind this gathering is that we want that for you. We, we want you to realize that I need to surround myself with the right people that are going to foster spiritual growth. The people that are going to push you toward your potential. Because like I said earlier, we were created for relationship. You online, you were created for relationship. You guys here, you were created for relationship because why we were created in the image of God. And there's so many people that have this desire to belong. There's so many people that have this desire to be heard, to be seen, to be known. And they're walking out there and they don't even know how to experience any of that. And guys, we wanna make it so easy for you. And like John and, and Jessica said earlier, our heart is we want community for you. We want you to fan this flame that God's invigorated in all of our hearts and it happens in a big gathering like this, but it also happens in a smaller gathering. And so that's why we're really excited to tell you about these crew groups. A crew group is where we're gonna gather together. I'm in one. And I gather with like nine guys and we do life together. We share about our struggles. We pray for each other. We encourage one another. Man, in, the, in some of the hardest moments of my life, they're there for me. Man, just the other day, I, I was experiencing just, just a rough week. And what happens? I get a text. Hey, how can I be praying for you? That person had no idea I was discouraged. But they were praying for me. And that's why we wholeheartedly believe in this crew group, in these crew groups. And, and the cool thing is, it's all about, it's all for you. We want to make it so easy. So we have different crews meeting at different times throughout the week. And we have some groups where it's like, man, I want to be mentored by somebody who's older than me. Just like Levi had to get poured into by Jesus. Maybe you need to get poured into by someone who's older and wiser. We have a group for you. Maybe you're single and you're like, man, I want to be and meet other single people. We have a group for you. Maybe you're just like, bro, I'm trying to meet a girl. We got a co-ed group for you. <laughs> the point being is we want to make it so easy for you to be in community. My heart, if I'm honest with you, after spending a lot of time praying for the last uh, six months or so, my heart is that every single one of us, you and you and you and you and you and you and you and, yeah, all of you, <laughs> would be in a crew group. All of you online, you in the living room, you put it in the chat. Now, wherever you find yourself, our heartbeat behind this is that you would be in a crew. And I know I'm talking a lot about this, but I truly believe that's where transformation happens. The, the big gathering's great. It's great to be empowered by other people. It's great to hear speaking and getting yelled at, and it's great to worship together. But something happens when you're doing life with other people. When, when you get that text message, and you're like, man, how do I respond to it? When you go through that breakup, the guys are gonna be there to encourage you. The girls are gonna be there to encourage you. 
And so we have different groups. Some are six weeks, some are 12 weeks. And the good news is they eventually end. It's not like Mary. uh, (laughs) What I meant to say, we're stepping away from life group because it sounds like a marriage. It, It never ends, which I'm grateful for. All right, guys, anyway, see you later. No, I'm kidding. So join a crew, and we made it, like I said, so easy. All you need to do is pull out your phone, go to our Instagram, at CrossroadsCYA. My wife's right here. <laughs> go to CrossroadsCYA, hit that link, and it, you'll see uh, join a crew. Want to encourage you to do that. Please, please, please. Or go to the booth right outside and get connected if you need more information. But our heart, seriously, is join a crew because I believe that's how we're going to fan the flame. But in order for us to have that flame, it starts with inviting Jesus into our hearts. In order to have that passion, we need to know him. In order to have that passion, we need to be in relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in relationship with somebody, when I'm friends with somebody, or I'm married to Jessica, I want to be with them. I want to spend time with them. I want to get to know them. I want to know what they're excited about because I want to cheer them on. 